0: Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the weekly science and development show from SciDevNet. I'm Michael Kaloki. Injections are used throughout the world to give life-saving medicines and vaccinations, but in limited resource communities with trained health workers in short supply, injections, particularly into the muscles, can be administered wrongly. This can lead to life-changing complications Especially among children. In this episode, we investigate gluteal fibrosis, a condition that limits the movement of the hips, often resulting from these mistakes. Our reporter, Halima Atumani, has been speaking to Dr. Colleen Sabatini, Director and Chief of Orthopedics at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland, California, who has been researching the effects. Of intramuscular injections on children in Uganda.
1: So my interest in gluteal fibrosis started back in my first trip to Uganda in 2013. So my interest in and in passion for the treatment um, of children with gluteal fibrosis has been ongoing now for nine years. Um, Gluteal fibrosis is essentially the fibrotic infiltration of the gluteal muscles. So first of all, what are the gluteal muscles? So those are the, basically our buttock muscles. So um, they are the muscles of our hip that sort of externally rotates and and allows movement through the hip. Um, And so um, most people would refer to them as their butt muscles. Um, And when you get multiple injections into those muscles in in terms of intramuscular injections or injections of certain substances into those muscles. Um, Fibrosis is induced. So instead of having nice smooth muscle that can contract and release and contract and release and perform muscle function, they're just these tight unrelenting bands of tissue um, that ultimately make it so that the hip does not move normally. And if you get enough fibrosis of those muscles, your hips are sort of locked in an externally rotated position and it's very hard to flex the hip up.
0: So,
2: you know, you started uh, studying about gluteal fibrosis after you visit Uganda, but is this something that happens in other parts of the world and how common is it?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we do not have great current epidemiologic data on gluteal fibrosis. Um, it certainly has happened all over the world in any place where intramuscular injections are given commonly. So much of the literature is from like the 1960s, 70s, and even 80s. And that literature, you know, spanned the whole globe. But in more recent years, much of the cases or the research that's come out has been in places where intramuscular injections are still commonly used or more commonly used. And so that, that is um, like less the United States and Europe and more now still in China, for example. There's a fair amount of literature out of China um, and then uh, in, in Africa, Southeast Asia, because it's only, you know, sort of small pockets of reports. Um, and we honestly don't even know yet how common it is in Uganda. But we do know that in certain areas we find a lot of children with the condition. I think in Uganda,
2: you also, through your research, you came to, to discover that most of this happens in the rural parts of the country. Is it just people who are out of the city? People who probably have less information or less educated or what? what are some of these factors?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, again, this is some of what we're looking into, but I think some of it is um, just what's available, right? So um, for example, you know, if you go to a pharmacy in a village environment in, you know, certain regions of Uganda, you can easily buy quinine and it's very affordable, certainly in a particular area where we have done a lot of our research. Quinine seems to be the agent that is, you um, most related to gluteal fibrosis. And we've done some basic science research on quinine and found that it does in fact induce fibrosis. Or if you go to, um, you know, a local clinic, they might have quinine. They don't have the artesamine derivatives, which are like um, the artesanate, which is used more commonly now for malaria. So it might not be available. It might be significantly more expensive. And so just based on availability and on cost, People might choose to use quinine instead of one of the other medications, um, and so um, and then not knowing, right? Like you're at the pharmacy, you sort of you know you depend on whoever's there selling you product to tell you what's best. And the pharmacist, you know, might not have the other product, or they they might want to um, make more money selling uh, an injection and the materials needed for an injection instead of a tablet. And so there's a financial incentive to do injections. Um, And I think all of those things combined lead to to injections being given. And honestly, I think it's that the medical community hasn't done enough. And I, I mean, like globally, like this is a real problem. And people don't know that there are risks to giving multiple injections.
0: One researcher looking into gluteal fibrosis is Daniela Akelot. We spoke to her about the research she's been doing into injuries caused by inappropriately given intramuscular injections and why there are several cases in rural Uganda.
2: How widespread and common is the gluteal fibrosis in Uganda?
3: Well since we started our research we've we've majorly observed it in eastern Uganda and and that's why our our, our research was focused in Kumi district and this is where it was first observed. Most of the kids we see with GF come from Eastern Uganda. Many people, I think, in Uganda uh,
2: believe that there's poor training of health workers in, in regards to the administering of the injections. Do you think this has heavily contributed to this condition, the poor training of health workers?
3: Well, I wouldn't say poor training because the, the, the nurses are well-trained. I believe they are well-trained, but it's the people in the drug private drug shops that are not trained as nurses. We found a laboratory technician giving an injection. We found a piece of drop dropout in the market giving an injection. We found a traditional healer giving an injection. So these, we are talking
2: about non-qualified staff, people who have no medical history, people who have no medical training completely, and they are the ones administering the injections.
3: Yes. Uh, I think this is because in Uganda we, we know we actually call everyone who works in a hospital a, a masao, a doctor. Even if you are cleaner, they'll call you a masao, and they all believe you can administer injections, and which is not the case. So you are literally telling
2: us that people who are not trained medically, people who are not trained health workers, are the ones administering injections in eastern Uganda.
3: That's what we found, and these are drug shops mainly because we we we, we had visited um, the government health center. These are all qualified people. There's a clinician, they are nurses responsible, and 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 even in 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 the health centers, it's it's the nurses who do the injection. The clinician will not do. But then you find in these drug shops, and these drug shops are located in the rural areas. You find that people have to walk long distances to, to, to that town to to find a, a government health facility or a private health facility with qualified nurses. But in these drug shops, to find we found one where where there was a a laboratory technician giving IM injections. These are intramuscular injections that are that that are linked to this disability to, to 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 GF.
0: Apollot Consulate is a patient in eastern Uganda who underwent surgery to treat her gluteal fibrosis. She's been talking to us about how this condition has affected her life.
4: It's really something tough, by the way. You don't get to bend like the rest of the people. You, the, the, you're the squatting posture, your walking posture, and then the threats that come from the community. You know, they keep saying, ah, those people can't actually give birth
2: what age do you feel this, this is just a lot of pressure? My physical posture is just a lot of pressure for me.
4: So uh, when I was in primary, I really didn't see anything. I mean, I felt like I was really totally normal like any other person. Maybe I'm just not having a bigger bum, but maybe I'll get it in future when I grow. But, you know, teenagers, you get to, you get you all in the dormitory with the rest of the girls. And these ones have this and that. And when they tell you to mop, you're finding difficulty in bending. You have to find your own way of actually doing the work. So it starts from a teenage age, around 13, around 14, when when body changes occur Mm
3: -hmm. and
4: yours are actually not happening the way the rest of the people are experiencing theirs. And You know, you want to fit, but you're not fitting.
2: Talk to me about your journey now. Getting to know that you know what this is the condition that is uh, rectifiable, this is correctable, and it's not just a matter of you know stretching your hands to the pastor and say, "Pastor, heal me."
4: We did the entire the surgery last year, September. Mm-hmm. So me before September last year and me now is way too different. The new me is is so great. She's so awesome. She can do so much that she wasn't. Able to do years again, years ago. She does things in a normal way. I can bend, I can mop, I can touch my toes, I can run, I can walk. I'm good, I'm good, and I'm so happy.
0: Intramuscular injection injuries are caused by a complex combination of failures in the healthcare system. So, why are these injections still so popular, and how can such injuries be prevented in the future? we put these questions to Dr. Sabatini.
1: Yeah, so that's some of the qualitative work that we have started and are continuing to try to do. And some of our work got interrupted by COVID, so we're excited to get going with some of that again. But really trying to understand why is it that people want their children or themselves to have an intramuscular injection instead of an oral medication, for example. Because in some cases, the the oral medication is as good what we call the bioavailability like the functional uh the functional quality of the medicine is as good orally if not better than through injection but there does seem to be and again this is what we're studying to try to understand it better our, our team in uganda um there seems to be sort of a, a desire for intramuscular injection because it's thought to be stronger like cuz it hurts more it's got to be stronger and if you want your child to not become critically ill from malaria, you want to, you know, they want to give the very best that they can for their child. And so intramuscular injection is often um, often recommended and often administered. And so there's some children that have dozens of intramuscular injections in their early years. Um, and that, of course, would be associated with a higher risk of gluteal fibrosis.
2: What do you think governments need to do? to bring to, I mean, to, to, to support you in this research?
1: Yeah, I think that what we would love to see is we, we need to get that data to show, you know, these are the injections that are being given um, and why, and and looking at a system of how do you reduce intramuscular injections. So we need to get the medicines to the places where people need them, right? All Like all the, necess- the frontline medicines for malaria, for example, it shouldn't just be quinine that is available to people throughout the country. We need to get the right medications to the right people. We need pharmacies to be, you know, making sure they're stocking the appropriate medications. We need them and the clinics to make sure that trained healthcare providers are giving the injections and not, like lay people who are not trained in the appropriate techniques Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to educate the public on making sure that you know they're going to uh, you know that they're not they're not asking for medication in a form that's not necessary for their child and that they're going to a clinic um, that has the appropriately trained staff to be delivering the medication the best way possible for their child. And if their child does need an injection, that it's given in as safe a manner as possible to reduce the risk of post-injection paralysis and or gluteal fibrosis. And I think governments need to understand that this is a problem, right? That there's children that are suffering lifelong disability.
0: That's all from us at Africa Science Focus today. If you want to find out more, head to the SciDevNet website. That's www. S C I D E V dot net Today's show was produced by Alice Hurst with editing by Ogechi Ekenao and reporting by Halima athumani I'm Michael Kaloki. Until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is produced by Scidevnet and distributed in association with your local radio station.